Canuck Central Friday. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw, coming to you live from the Kintec studio. This hour of the program is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. We close out the week. The Young Stars Tournament is uh, getting going in Penticton. A week from now, the Canucks will be in the midst of training camp, getting ready for preseason. We are one, carry the one, nine days away from the first preseason game for the Vancouver Canucks. The countdown is on. Sad, how you doing? I, I'm excited when you start talking about the countdown and uh, how close we are to the season. Yep. And, you know, for it's getting all... closer to sweater season, too. I wore a sweater to work today. Yes. Oh, I know. I know. I know. Uh, I actually wore a uh, hoodie and a bomber jacket yesterday. Wow. And today, uh, you know what? When I came to work, it was a little sunny. The sun finally broke out. So mm-hmm. it wasn't so bad. So I wore a T-shirt. I have a hoodie in my backpack, though. <laughs> I came prepared. Because once we leave work around 6, it's a bit yeah. cooler now because the yeah. sun goes down sooner. Yeah. So. Is it sweater weather, uh, sweater weather yet, Eddie? I've dusted off the spring jacket. Mm. Still doing the short sleeve shirt thing. But you know it's fall, though. Do you yeah. have a fall jacket or e- just a spring jacket? Well, either or. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> spring or fall, that type of year weather or that time of year weather jacket. Um, in any case, it just means that hockey is just around the corner. So we'll be well, getting- yeah exactly and, and you yeah. know for us because we work all the games and stuff and do all the pre and post for all intents and purposes our season starts on Sunday yep not this Sunday next, next Sunday. Sunday yeah uh, there will be a uh, split squad game between the Canucks and the Calgary Flames so today uh, you'll get to hear the Young Stars tournament games at least the Canucks games. On sportsnet.ca slash 650, of course, you, the player. You'll get it on the online stream, tonight's game. Over the weekend, you'll hear the other games that the Canucks have going on. So you will be able to hear the Young Stars games on 650 this weekend. But focusing on the big club, we'll get to some mm-hmm. other things. Cam Robinson's going to join us, his take on some of the prospects, what to look for this weekend. Dan Murphy, um, yeah, even we're even getting Murph back to work, so you know hockey season's just around the corner. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're going to put him to work, and we'll <laughs> ask him how his uh, off-season's been. Yeah, but, um, you know, we, we talk about so many different players. You know, we've yeah. talked about Quinn playing the right side and how the, the, the lines are going to deploy and all these different types of things. One player that we often overlook, I know I overlook Travis Dermott, but I feel like collectively the market overlooks... Connor Garland. Now, maybe it is because he's uh, one of the shorter Vancouver Canucks on the roster, but this player was just outside the top 30 in the NHL for points scored at five on five. He put up as many points at five on five as JT Miller did Mm -hmm. last season. And as much as that sounds like this is a really good player we have here, it doesn't feel like that first season really cemented Connor Garland as part of the Canucks core. No, I mean, I mean, I think he's a core player. I don't know if he's. I don't think that he's viewed as a cornerstone player. 
Right. And I think that's where the difference comes in. When they look at guys they want to build around long term, I'm not sure Garland fits that. That doesn't mean they don't view him as a player that can fit the core and be a nice complimentary player. That could very well be the case. It doesn't mean he's imminently going to be traded or they don't like him. But how he fits in will tell you a lot about how he will be utilized and how much value the Canucks will get out of a player making $4.9 million on the cap. That's the biggest question for me. You know, like, how are they going to get the most out of him? And really, I mean, if a guy scores 52 points, I guess 19 goals and all that sort of stuff and plays evens. 52 points, basically all at even strength. Yeah, so he's a 50-point guy, even strength, about $5 million per season, which is kind of baseline. But the question is, is does that make sense for this team long term? But the problem is, what's the alternative? Because it's not like you're you're able to move that player and get a defenseman back in return. I, I don't, I don't know where Connor Garland is going to add to what he brings to the Canucks. Like I, I know he can score five on five. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I expect him to do that again this year. Yeah, but he's never going to be a fixture on the on the Canucks top power play unit, especially not after they add Kuzmenko. You know, if you think about the depth chart of who steps into the Canucks top power play unit should one of the main guys go down, Kuzmenko goes to the top. Yeah. Pearson will go to the top unit. Mm-hmm. Um, but Garland is at best third third next up after that. Like he's not getting many looks, if any, on the top power play unit. Is he even getting on the second unit? And before anybody responds and be like, oh, why are you throwing, you know, are, you, are you blowing this out of proportion? You can only have eight forwards on yes. your two power play units. The Canucks have nine. They, well, if you want to include Niels Hoaglander, they have 10 top nine forwards. Yeah. That means at least two, well, two of them are on the outside looking in as far as power play two goes. We know who the four forwards on the first unit is. Yep. Kuzmenko brought, brought in, as you mentioned, a big part of it, his power play prowess. Mm-hmm. They like what Pearson provides down low, net front. So that's like two of the spots. Who are the other two spots going to? Yeah, I, I would still say Garland, but you don't really have any half wall players <laughs> uh, outside of Kuzmenko on that on that second power play unit. I mean, Mikheyev is he going to get a chance? I mean, he's not a power play guy, but they're paying him four point seven five million. It's yep, almost the same amount of money that Connor Garland is getting. Pod Colson, uh, he's in the mix. So then there's Hoaglander. It, it's not I, exactly a clear picture. No, it's not. I, I think the only two forwards you can you can bank in for sure are Kuzmenko and Pearson. Yeah, and just you know, and it's not even me saying put Pearson on the power play, but if I'm guessing what the coach is going to do, I'd imagine he's going to be on the man advantage. And for as good as Connor Garland has been at producing five on five, he has had a lack of production when it comes to the power play. Whether it was in Arizona or even last year in the limited time he saw with the Canucks top unit. And even when the Canucks had injuries on the top unit, Garland was often not the player they looked to to fill on that top unit. Remember, Chason would come up, mm-hmm. Pearson would come up, other guys would come up well before Connor Garland to that top unit. He's not going to be a power play contributor for the Canucks team, at least not a significant one. I don't see it. But I like the, the way I think Connor Garland could increase his minutes and could increase and get closer to really bringing value on his salary is to try him as one of the many penalty killers, at least in the rotation, because he anticipates the play well, he can get to lose pucks, he wins his fair Mm -hmm. share of battles along the wall, um, gets clearances like he knows, you know, I think there is 
a player that can have success, a Mitch Marner-ish type. Ooh, Mitch Marner. Uh, uh, you know, the way the, the Leafs use Mitch Marner yeah, on yeah, the yeah. penalty kill, not uh, that sort of point producer, but Marner, you know, is anticipates the play well, yeah. can break up passes, and then can, at times, put the opponents on their heels uh, when it comes to bringing the puck the other way. That other than that, like I just don't see where you're going to get more out of Connor Garland than you currently do. Yeah, and I mean, on the PK, you're right. I mean, you can in terms of u- utility, if you use him there, it's not going to really increase his point totals. Now he can be a threat on the PK and maybe get you some shorthanded points. No, but I feel like we're we're always going to be talking ourselves into circles of whether or not Garland is worth the four point nine, unless you find something else for him to do other than his five-on-five yeah. five production. And, and to me, it's not going to be the PK. I mean, I wouldn't mind trying him on it. The one thing he does lack that Marner has is that explosiveness. He's yes. so fast, and he can put teams on their heels. Garland can. He doesn't have the breakaway speed. He's shifty, good on his edges, and he's quick, but he's not explosive. He's not super fast. In, a in the way line. that Mikheyev is. Yeah, and those guys are. So on the power play, that's going to be the big question. The other question to me is, can you get more out of him at even strength, which is saying a lot considering... How much I mean, he scored he was even a, strength? Like basically a top thirty scorer in the league at even strength. Does he play even more? Depending on let, let, let's say Pedersen, Podkolzin, and Garland works, and they yeah. play a ton, and they just explode at even strength. Does that help you if he gets sixty points this year mm-hmm. and like fifty odds? Some of it is even even strength points. Then you feel good about four point nine. If he gets sixty points, you're like whatever. I mean, sixty point player making four point nine, that's good. If not, it doesn't mean he's a bad player. But it's it's about who are you getting surplus value from on this roster? Yeah. And it's hard to envision a scenario where you're getting surplus value on Connor Garland. He may just be what he is on this team, which is a nice, even strength producer that you're getting. Yeah, essentially your money worth, it, money's worth. It it does feel like he's underappreciated, um, to a certain extent. Yeah, I mean, teams that are good at even strength are teams that are going to have. So, if you want to build out, let's say, an optimistic picture of how the Canucks may play as a team this year. Yeah. Carno Garland was a very good even strength player by the production and also by the metrics. Every metric you look at, it was a positive. Same thing with Mikheyev, the Canucks added. A mm-hmm. very strong even strength player. Pedersen, we know when he's at his best strong even strength player. Well, the Canucks all of a sudden, the, their entire top nine, it consists of strong even strength players. Even Brock Besser, at his best, has been a guy who helps drive play. has been a positive player when it comes to possession and, and creating scoring chances. So if you look at it in that aspect... Mm-hmm. And the Canucks take a big step as an even strength team, and Connor Garland is a good even strength player. Well, then he becomes a valuable part of what you're doing the majority of the game, and that's playing even strength. He's. You look at his production through his career, that has been his biggest strength. Any avenue that the Canucks have towards getting better at five on five, I feel like Connor Garland is a part of it. I just. I don't understand where the hesitance or the feeling of hesitance comes from Mm -hmm. on Garland's standing within the roster or on the roster. Is he forever just going to be a guy that can't get himself out of the rumor mill? Yeah. Similar to the way Brock Besser's career has been in Vancouver, always, Mm -hmm. you know, he's a great player, but not one of the guys. So... Is he better on this roster, or can we use him as a player to improve our roster elsewhere? Yeah. It feels as though Garland is going to be that 
at least the way we talk about Garland is always going to have that sort of feel to it. Yeah, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad way to look at it. But I've been somebody who's who was some. I mean, wouldn't say critical of Garland, but questioning the overall value at times last season. Mm-hmm. But the more you think about this team and how they want to play, I do think unless they find a deal for Carter Garland that they feel like they can pass up, and that's you know, getting a, a, a decent pick back in return or something or getting somebody that they feel like is a better mix for them. He does bring a lot of value for this team because he's able to give you positive shifts day in and day out at even strength. And, and I keep bringing up even strength. But to me, as much as we sit here and talk about power play and special teams and all that sort of stuff and Pedersen taking a big step, as a team, if this if this squad wants to really make damage, Dan, they have to become a top 10 team possession-wise. Can they get there? Can they be top half of the league, which makes you a playoff team, essentially, with everything else this team has? But if they really want to take that step this season and be more than what they showed last year as a team that got hot and had some bounces and came together under Boudreaux and all those positive things, it will have to be at even strength. The, the true mark of great teams comes at even strength. So as much as we're sitting here and talking about Garland, is it somewhat overthinking his overall value when he's a player you don't have to worry about? Yeah. This is a team that has struggled in this regard, especially in previous years. The Canucks uh, with Boudreaux were essentially 50-50, break-even yeah. uh, in terms of a lot of the metrics. They ended up outscoring, uh, I believe, by 15 goals, their opponents at 5-on-5 five five under Boudreaux because of the incredible goaltending that they got. But you know, from a lot of the uh, predictive measures, they were basically a break-even club at five on five. And if you go into some of the more proprietary data, maybe they were even below 50-50 when it came to controlling chances and things of that nature. Yeah, I mean, it's always hard to say. Where the Canucks struggled in a big degree was giving out quality chances. Yes. And they didn't generate enough quality chances. And and that's the big dilemma this team faces at even strength. A lot of that comes from how you play as a team defensively too, but also with how the team kind of builds out. But you know, to the points that people are, are, are making here on the text inbox, this one says he doesn't need Petey or Miller to create. Garland makes things himself. A complete non-issue, uh, in my opinion, is what this unsigned text, uh, Josh in mission. Maybe is that's just why Potter we don't Garland. talk about Garland too much because he's not really much of an issue. For he's, he's not a problem. He's not an issue. But but I do think when when I look at the squad and about how the pieces will come together and, and you know, and, and IMAX latest piece that's on sports and the dots here will be very shortly. And whenever you listen to this, probably if you're not listening to it live, <laughs> um, one of the things he mentions in talking to Bruce Boudreau is it's clear they want to go with those three centers yes. because they feel like they have a top nine. now. They really feel like they've got enough wingers to support all three centermen. Right. And, and if you want to have a strong top nine, then Connor Garland becomes a critical part of you having a strong top nine. You know, and and ultimately the big questions long term will persist about the overall value, surplus value, and overall fit. But as as far as success for this season goes, especially with how the Canucks want to play with those three centers down the middle, Connor Garland is a big part of that because he's not going to be on a shutdown line. So you know he's playing with JT Miller or he's playing with Patterson, Patterson. and he's going to be able to create playing with any of those guys. And I think that gives the team at least some. So, you know how we say we don't have to worry about him? He's yeah. probably a guy the team, as much as they may want more from him and certain things they, they don't like, he's a guy you don't have to worry about. You know, no matter who you're putting him with, Miller or Pedersen, your top six, they're going to be fine at even strength and create. He does happen to be a pretty damn good playmaker as well. I mean, he doesn't have the, the best shot in the world, so he's got to get his points from somewhere, and they generally do come 
off of those helpers. Uh, you need guys who can drive offense five on five. He was one of the best on the team at creating offense. If he's getting 45 plus points at evens, that's value for his salary. Josh from Mission listening live. And Dan from Van, good call on uh, the PK for Garland. Good digger, just falls too much. Needs more squats. <laughs> he could stand to be a little faster. Yeah. You know, he's a quick player, but he's not a fast player. Yeah. And I think there's a difference in that. He doesn't really give your team a boost in overall team speed, but he gives you the little quickness and short area bursts, and he's dynamic. Sort but of he does what you miss have to that. have when you're yeah. not a big player. Yeah. You have to have some short area quickness, but you'd like some more explosiveness from him. Well, that's why I kind of wonder, uh, depending on where you put Mikheyev, but a line that has Mikheyev with Karner Garland... Could be interesting. Could be very interesting to me. Like, even we say we don't play him with Bo, it could be interesting having Mikheyev and Bo, and those two guys just creating chaos with their speed and, and, and just straight-ahead play, and Bo can just be a bull at times and a bit too one-dimensional. But if you have two of those guys just getting to the net and getting to behind the net, creating speed and creating some chaos and getting Garland being a bit of a playmaker there, I think... That could make that a very effective line potentially. On a line like that, you would uh, you would expect Garland to be more of the puck carrier. I, you know, I remember Miller talking about it last year when he was playing because he'd play with different players yeah. and he and he at times talked about the difference of playing with certain guys. And he mentioned playing with Garland is a little bit different for me because I'm not going to be carrying the puck as much because he can. Uh, so it's it's a little bit different, and I think on a line with Horvat and Mikheyev, Connor Garland could, uh, at least in theory, do some of those things. So if you're looking at you know Garland as a piece that you're not so worried about and a guy that uh, could be interesting in different sorts of minutes, maybe on the penalty kill, I, I do wonder when it comes to J.T. Miller. So... Yeah, Canucks are going to use all three centermen. Probably spread out the minutes at five-on-five for those big three centermen at least. Patrick Alvin said it as a stated goal after signing Miller to the big extension. We want to manage his minutes. Where do JT Miller's minutes get managed, Sat? Uh, On the PK. Yeah. You know, and, and maybe even even strength a little bit, because if you are going with those three players, Pedersen, Miller, and, and Horvat down the middle all year, because let's not forget, Pedersen spent a sizable part of the season playing the wing, uh, whether it was with Petter, whether it was with, with um, Miller at times, and even less of a more so with Bo Horvat. Him and Bo played on the same line quite a bit. You even saw him and Dickinson play together a little bit over the course of the season. So I think if he's really playing center the whole time, then you can manage his minutes as even strength a little bit. But to me, it has to come on the PK. He can't be as big a part on the on the PK as he has been. And that's where Curtis Lazar's addition should be big for this team in that regard. He's going to be able to take a lot of face-offs, which should take some pressure off Bo, but more importantly on Miller, because Bo doesn't really play on the PK a lot. He takes a lot of face-offs, which he won't need to take any, as much. So you would see oftentimes Bo taking a face-off and then quickly changing Miller jumping in. Well, now you have Lazar taking care of that. For a large, large part, and I think that can help out if you can take 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 about take a, sh- a couple shifts off of him every game on the PK. You know what's that? Forty five seconds. Mm-hmm. You know uh, you may be playing him thirty seconds less on even strength. That's a minute and a half. And I and mean that, we're, that's we're not, where you're making it up. Yeah, and it's not going to be you're going to play him three or four minutes less. It's essentially how do you play him a minute and a half to two minutes less? Well, yeah, well, like what he, he averaged about twenty two minutes last. Yeah, year. you want you want to get him minutes. closer to twenty. Twenty's fine. I mean, yeah. big time players, guys who go the way he does. Twenty minutes is fine. Twenty two, 
probably a bit too much. And you would also hope that you're not in a dogfight from January 1st onwards to make the playoffs, so you're not... You know, throwing JT Miller out there like crazy to try and win every game possible. And having center depth. And, you know, one of the other things that Canucks lacked last year was Brandon Sutter going through his issues and not being able yeah. to play. They lacked that center. And Lamical took some time Well, they're time also to get one center away from that being an issue again. Like again, One yeah. injury. The depth. I mean, hey, for all the talk about trying to play him less. Yeah. This is best case scenario how you do it. But, you know, are you actually going to be able to afford to do so? I think when everybody's healthy, you probably see him play around 20 minutes, 1930, 1950. I think that's where you're going to see him mostly. But as soon as the center goes down, you probably see him back to 22, 23 minutes a game. Um. Curtis Lazar, about 48% in the dot last year, which last year was his first real big season. Yeah. Right? Um, Had struggled to really find a specific role prior to that, but last year was his first big-time season with the the Boston Bruins and had a lot of success, but 48% in the dot. You know, you think about Jason Dickinson and how quickly uh, his face-off issues became – uh, a big storyline for the Canucks last year. You know, he was, I think, low 40s through most of his career uh, as a faceoff man before coming to Vancouver. So you could see a bit more of a, a an issue in the in the distance from that. And I think some of those issues are going to be solved with Lazar coming. But ultimately, the Canucks are still going to want Miller and Horvat taking most of their big time draws. A lot of them. Uh, what what. Lazar helps you with, though, even though he's not super prolific. He's close to 48, 49% last year. But on a strong side, yeah, he's better. And the Canucks had no right-handed center. Miller would take every single one of those because he was the best at winning on his on his weak side. Yeah, but it's still he wasn't great. He and oftentimes when he was taking a face off, on, he would on just his slap offside. it. Exactly, slap he it swung the, at yeah. it. Hey, and it still worked because he was slap able to, create, to the wing. He was able to create fifty fifties. Yeah, and, and and you're kind of around fifty fifty if you create more fifty fifties, right? So it was fine. But he's not prolific on his right side. Lazar, at least, is better on his right side than his offside taking face-offs. And again, it's a small little thing, but it can make some situational differences, right? Like, there's a key face-off coming up. Miller's, like, exhausted. Horvat's in the penalty box. Here's Lazar taking a right-handed center, right, you know, a strong side face-off, wins against the puck out, makes a difference a couple times in the season. Um, it seems as though people understand it's a mailbag Friday. Oh, yeah. We're getting a lot of mailbag-type questions in from uh, the live listeners. 650, 650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. The mailbag doesn't officially start until after 5 o'clock today, at least live. But uh, we are getting quite a few of those types of questions already on the Dunbar Lumber text line, like this one coming from Anthony in White Rock. <laughs> you know what? We'll save it for the yeah, the Friday mailbag. It's a Niels Lindquist question. Mm-hmm. Others have also posed it on, on social media as well. It is a question we will get to on the mailbag. But keep getting your questions in and sign them MF yes. for our text inbox, 650-650 Dunbar Lumber. I do uh, appreciate the questions coming in early here on a mailbag Friday. Maybe Lazar will push Pedersen for minutes. That comes from Sam. It, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I mean, here's a fourth line center and here's a skill. They're just not competing for minutes. And Lazar may play the most minutes he has in his career. He may play a lot of minutes if, if he excels and, and plays well, but he's not competing with Pedersen for minutes. If, uh, uh, you know, like one of the ways that you manage Miller's minutes better is if Pedersen really seizes the role as the team's number one guy. Well, if he if he goes back to playing the way he did for the second half of the year, and he plays about 20, 19, 20 minutes a game, 
Well, it makes it a lot easier because then you yeah. run Bo out 19 minutes, you run Pedersen out 19 minutes, you run Miller out 19, 20 minutes. And last year, for a big part of the season, he was playing 16, 17 minutes, especially early when he was struggling under um, Travis Green. His minutes were limited, but he still played about 18 and a half. But he's a guy that, you know, he's capable and he has shown he can play 19 minutes and more. And I think we should see him get to that range this season. Do you think we still see Pedersen on the PK? I think so. I think we'll see them at times. I think what Boudreaux is going to do, and I think what the team is going to do, is not be as rigid, and they will throw guys out. They want. I think it they won't be like, have... here's our four guys that kill penalties, and that's it. Yeah, and I think they may have a core group of guys that kill penalties, but I think they want to get a lot of guys out there because injuries will happen. You want to have fresh guys out there, and if you want to play a high-press, energetic PK, you need to have guys that go quick and change out a lot, right? So you need to maybe have three PK units as opposed to two PK units if you want to play right. the high-tempo type of PK. So we'll see if they do that. Somebody else messaged uh, about um, how Dickinson was supposed to be the guy to take some defensive face-offs and help out Bo. It didn't, age, didn't work out well. It didn't. And his str- strength was never taking face-offs. Also, left-handed centerman. Yeah. You know, and the Canucks didn't have a right-handed centerman. Those, for those situational face-offs, that's an important thing to have. It's uh, Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. A lot of Canucks talk here on Canucks Central. Go figure. Um, it's going to continue. Dan Murphy's going to join us after 4 o'clock. And Cam Robinson will check in and his take on the Young Stars tournament that uh, is getting going, who we should be on the lookout for with the Vancouver Canucks. That's coming up next. It is Canucks Central. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Stan Richo and Satyar Shah. This is Canuck Central. Um, Mike H. with a little preview of what he would like to hear on Mailbag Friday. Sat, which breed of dog would you like for the Canucks? <laughs> oh, wow. Hard-hitting questions are coming in. I mean, um, believe it or not, I don't have a favorite breed of dog. Mm. But uh, I You love all dogs equally. I wouldn't... Uh, yeah, for the most part, <laughs> I'd say so. I will say, uh, one of my cousins... Uh, growing up, one of my cousins had a Jack Russell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're so much fun. Uh, <laughs> but they can also be very, very stubborn. Um, I'll just say I, I um, <laughs> he was a lot. Okay, yeah, I'll say I'll say lot. that a he, lot of he was a, he was a lot. They can be so. a lot and also very stubborn and hard headed and stuff like that. But they're very fun dogs. Uh, so uh, yes, <laughs> thanks for the question, Mike. Uh, we appreciate them all. We'll have more mailbag questions coming up after five o'clock today. It's uh, it's prospect season as the uh, Canucks Young Stars tournament is ongoing this weekend with the Jets. Flames and Oilers all playing a part of it. Uh, we'll have those games here on Sportsnet 650 over the course of the weekend, starting with tonight's game. Now joining us, uh, Cam Robinson, uh, covering prospects over at Elite Prospects. Uh, thanks for this, Cam. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well, boys. I just jumped in when you were talking about stubborn and uh, hard-headed, and I thought you were talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it may have been. So. What's, wh- which prospect would you have never given up on? Oh gosh! To throw that that one. stubborn, yep. stubborn hard headedness in on. You know who I always really thought could have made it was Hunter Shinkarik. Mm. He was someone that I thought just he just was he was there. It was so close, but it just didn't work out. So I probably would have given him a couple extra chances before uh, pulling the rug out. 
Yeah, see, I mean, we all have those. Yeah. Like, you know, guys that you just can't quit. You're like, you know, this year he's going to work out. This year he's going to figure it out. And sometimes that, that dies a hard death, doesn't it? It absolutely does, yeah. But, you know, you learn from those mistakes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At least we like to say that we do. Uh, That's right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the Young Stars Tournament, um, it, it's always exciting. Uh, we know the team is very happy to bring it back after after a few years. But realistically, at least from the Canucks perspective, there's not a lot there there, right? You know, we're talking about uh, Linus Carlson and and wondering if he's got uh, some NHL upside after a great season in the SHL last year. When when you uh, see what the Canucks have to offer in this this tournament this weekend, what are you looking for? Yeah, like you said, it's 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 not like some of the the tournaments that they've sent up in years past. Yeah, um, there's a few guys that you're hoping. Yeah, I think you know Linus Carlson and, and Danila Klimovich are, are the two obvious ones that you're like, hey, you know, there's a there's a chance that these guys could have top nine upside at the NHL level at some point. Um, you know, Archie Baines, I'm looking forward to seeing you know how he how he can handle himself. I think he's an interesting kind of long term project to potentially be a a bottom six guy. Um, a kid that I'm always really interested in watching is Connor Lockhart. He's got a lot of skill. Um, he had, you know, he missed a, his draft eligible season. And then last year was kind of like a, a trying to get his feet wet underneath him in the OHL there. So I think he has another gear to give uh, on the blue line. It's, it's a set of names anyways. Um, there's, there's, they play hockey. Yeah. I, don't, I don't really see a lot of guys that have a lot of upside there. Um, obviously, Jet Wu's the, the elder statesman. He's got to be, you know, 22, 23 by this point. And so you're hoping he's going to really stand out from that group. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of speaks to the level that the the pipeline has. And, and actually, I have an article coming out ranking the Canucks prospects tomorrow morning at uh, at EP Rinkside. And you know, they're they're towards the very end of the the entire league uh, when it comes to their prospect pool. Well, and, you know, it's going to take a while to restock those cupboards and everything. And when I start looking, we look at this prospect pool. And yesterday, we, we had the exercise of ranking the Canucks' top five prospects. And I decided to get a little frisky and, and go off the board a little bit for a couple of the top five guys. I put Myrenberg and Forcell there. And for as much as, yeah, you know, that, that seems maybe a bit high on those guys. The point I'm trying to make here is there isn't a lot of separation between a lot of those guys right now. When you start going through, you know, outside Rathbone or like Karamaki, when you look at that swath of players that Canucks have from, say, three to, like, seven or eight. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. And so at that point, you know, you're looking at upside. And so I've yeah. got no problem put, putting a guy like Myrenberg, who I actually ranked number four for the Canucks as well. So I've got him in the top five. I've got Forzell a little bit further down. But he's a really interesting player because he's so young. He played on such a dreadful team last year and still managed to stand out um, and hold his own in the SHL level. So, yeah, if you're looking at pure upside guys – you know, those are a couple guys that you're going to swing on, especially Myrenberg. I think he's he's someone that I know that there's a few people in the organization that are really high on him, um, and uh, and I and I, I personally really enjoyed watching him last year and to see that evolution and looking forward to him taking another step forward this year too. So, you know, there are some there are some darts there. There's always going to be a few of those. You know, Aiden McDonough is another one who who is that big body guy with just a wicked release. If he can add a step, then you know you might have yourself a a guy like Tanner Pearson, that type of player that can maybe play a two-way game, be heavy on the forecheck, and finish and get streaky and, and score in bunches sort of thing. So there, there's some there's some things there just outside of Lakira Mackey. Um, and, you know, Rathbone, he's not called eligible anymore, but he's a prospect for sure. There's not any obvious like, hey, this guy's going to be an NHLer and could be impactful um, in all likelihood. So uh, one of the, the most interesting names at this tournament, to, just to step away from the Canucks for a second, uh, 
Cole Perfetti, and I was kind of interested that that he was playing at all in this uh, Young Stars tournament because he does project to, to play a pretty big role for, for Winnipeg this year, but how excited should we be about Cole Perfetti in the season he could have? Yeah, he's a player. I was also a little surprised that he was going to this event too. Um, you know, he played whatever twenty games in the NHL last year, but he had a he had a kind of an abbreviated season too. I think he played only thirty five total games last year, um, and then you know probably only thirty the year before that too. So it, he hasn't had a ton of hockey, um, and he's only twenty years old. So so I don't blame them for saying there, but he should dominate at that level. And you know, there's a world where this guy's playing first line minutes for the Jets this year. Like he's that good. Um, very very intelligent. He's a, he's a center by by trade, but I, he can play on the left wing as well. Um, yeah, he's he's a very good player. He's someone that I've been high on for for several years now, going back to his draft year in 2020. Um, very very cerebral type of guy. Uh, not the biggest player, but plays so smart that he doesn't have to be a dual threat kind of shooter and finisher. Um, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Perfetti's, and Winnipeg got a good one there. So when you look at the field here of all the teams at this Young Stars tournament. How would you, you know, and kind of rank the top prospect pools here? Uh, I mean, the Jets have some some really interesting players. You know, I like what the Flames have too. Um, Calgary's been, you know, they've been a pretty good team now for a couple of years, but they also have some some really interesting prospects too. So um, I do like what they're doing. Um, obviously, you know, Edmonton's got Broberg. Um, but yeah, Jacob Pelche is one that I'm really looking forward to seeing with the Flames. There, he's had a really big season in the in the AHL last year as a rookie. Um, he's a standout player. Uh, yeah, so there's there's some there's some nice names. Dylan Holloway for the Oilers. Um, you know, a kid I love, Dustin Wolf for the Flames. He's, he's that undersized goaltender that all he does is put up monster numbers everywhere, and, and everyone just kind of keeps doubting him because of his size. So uh, there's there's definitely some good players out there. Um, I was tempted to, to hop on the boat and head over to Penticton this weekend, mm-hmm. but uh, instead I'll be going to watch my son's uh, U9 hockey practices and games instead. Uh, really looking at those long-term prospects this weekend. I like that. That's right. <laughs> uh, Cam Robinson, our guest, uh, Lee Prospects, epringside.com. So I saw you posting about uh, some of the projections for the upcoming year and uh, you know the, the, the big uh, fantasy draft previews are starting to come out and one both Sat and I really looked at was, was Brock Besser, who's a super interesting player for the Canucks this year because it just feels like there's always been another level we expect Brock to get to, but we haven't seen it yet. Is this the year we see that from Brock? I mean, I think it is, right? Like, we, we know what he's capable of, especially when he's healthy, right? Like, when he, when he went off for 29 goals in 60 games there as a rookie, like, we're like, holy smokes, this guy's got 40-goal upside for sure. Um, you know, he hasn't broken that 30-goal barrier. He would have if he played a full season a couple of times in all likelihood. Um, but he hasn't done it yet. Obviously, I think we can just throw last year's season out the window. Mm-hmm. Like, we just forget about it. It was a difficult one for him off-ice personally. Um, I think, you know, with the new contract – Hopefully he's refocused. He has some peace in, in his personal life, and, and he's ready to kind of step back in and prove that he's worth the the dollar figure on the on the cap hit. And I think he is. And so you know, for my projections, I've got him out there. Um, just pulling it, looking at it right now, it's 33 goals and 71 points in 78 games. So a career season for for kind of across the board. I think we see his shot rate elevate once again. Um, I'm looking for him to be putting over three shots a game on net, like we saw for a couple of years ago. Um, and this is a player that there's no reason he should be clicking around nine, ten percent with the way he can finish. So if his wrist is good and he's healthy, um, this is a player that should be able to to, to convert at you know fifteen, sixteen percent. One of those rare finishers in the high teens. 
Um, and if he's doing that, then yeah, 30, 35 goals um, being just a threat on the power play. You know, we're hoping Elias Patterson is going to step up to another level this year like he did in the back half. And if Brock's playing on his wing, then that's only going to going to help him out too, right? So I, I think together and with, with Quinn Hughes taking another step, but all these guys kind of entering into their prime together, that there is the makings for a bunch of career seasons here in Vancouver. Yeah, I mean... I see it. I see it for him. I see it for Elias Pettersson, um, for sure. I mean, we'll see with Bo Horvat over the course of a season. Does he get a career high in points? Had a career high in goals this past year. The one guy who we were talking about in the first segment quite a bit, Cam, was Connor Garland. And just from a fantasy perspective, he's a good hockey player, but I'm not sure I, I love the value fantasy wise because. Are, do we see a pathway for him to get more than fifty some points? Like he had fifty two points last season. Yeah, probably not. I mean, it's just, it's really difficult for guys to hit the high numbers when they're on the second power play unit, right? Like yeah. if you're not getting two and a half, three minutes a night on the top power play, it, it's it's just hard to, to jack up those points. Like I think he only had two or three power play points all last season. So he's great at driving offense at five on five. Mm-hmm. There's no denying that. And like you said, really excellent real life player, um, kind of over overlooked, I think, often. Um, but, you know, I've got him down for, you know, 25 goals, 55 points in 77 games, which is, is terrific value for your second line and second power play guy. Um, you know, I think that's that's well worth his money. Uh, it's just, yeah, especially from the fantasy perspective or for people that being like, hey, you know, this guy, he's still, you know, 26 years old. Like maybe there's another gear. Maybe he's a 65, 70 point guy. It's like, yeah, he could be if you feed him 20, 21 minutes a night and three and a half of them are on the power play, that's just not going to happen. Elias Patterson, um, does he have 40 goal upside? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that there's, there's a world where he could hit 50 one year. Like there there's in my mind, he's got a top 10 shot in the league. Um, so if he can, if he can get that rhythm early, um, I was actually just talking to my son about it about an hour ago. And, mm. and he, you know, he's asking, he, we're talking about who's going to get what and where, um, and, and we're talking about Pedersen and, and I'm just saying, if he can get out the door in a hurry here, come out and get hot like he did in his rookie season, um, put up multi-goal games, multi-point games right out the door. I think he's the type of player that's going to feed off that confidence um, that we could be looking at a monster season. You know, I've gone down for 38 goals and 90 points, which I think puts him into that kind of superstar level. Um, but I don't think that's his top gear. Mm-hmm. Like this is a guy who's got triple digit upside. And yeah, I think 40 goal upside is, is very achievable for him, especially, you know, he's another one who can convert into even higher teams. Like he could, he could hit 18, 19% of his shots, just the way he can pinpoint it with, with the power and the precision, especially on the power play. Um, you know, we got JT Miller coming back for him and, and, and he's not going to take a huge step back. I don't think uh, 99 points isn't probably likely to happen again, but you know, if Pedersen can really ramp things up, then, then maybe Miller can flirt with that 85, 90 point uh, total again, and they can all kind of lift each other up together. But I think it's going to be a little top heavy in Vancouver. So if teams can find a way to shut down those top three or four guys, then, then things might get a little dicey. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and, you know, ultimately for this team's, upside for this team to not only take a step this year but ultimately have the chance to be a true contender beyond this season a lot of it comes down to Elias Pettersson not just being a star but being a superstar like you mentioned going back to us seeing what the upside was the first couple of years and I think people have really forgotten that even now when talking about Pettersson it's kind of like you know does does he have a decent year and all that sort of stuff I think what I want to see and I'd love to see is him kind of having this arrival year because even looking at some projections and hey I get the projections you have to be real with the last couple years he had but you know people are viewing him now as as you know a tier four tier five type of player so many other guys ahead of him I think this is a year he kind of reminds everybody that you should be back in the conversation as one of the best players in the league. 
Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, technically this is his fifth season in the league. Um, but, you know, we lost, he lost basically an entire, his third season, he played 25 games. And so that's kind of a write-off. Um, so this is, is really his fourth season in the league, which is a, the year that a lot of players really explode. Um, and that's what I'm looking for for him too. And, and I, you know, I think it's kind of good that, that people aren't, you know, last year there was, you know, from the national media kind of talking like, hey, Elias Pedersen is kind of a sneaky dark horse to be a heart contender. Um, and there was lots of expectations. And then, you know, obviously the contract dispute, missing training camp, a lot of things stacked up against him. Then the confidence went down as he wasn't rolling early. Um, but if you look at the back half of his year, in the back 40, he played at nearly a 50-goal pace and 100, or a 50-goal 100-point pace. Um, and that was for his half a season. So if he can replicate that even over, you know, 80% of the season with a couple of dry spells in there, then I, I think that that 35 to 40 goal and 90 point upside is very realistic. And, and like we're saying is that, you know, he's got superstar level and, and that's what this team absolutely needs. They need him to be a, a defining quality up front for them and maybe even add a little two-way play to his game too, a advanced two-way game is because you want your best players to be able to do that too, is that if he can do that, then he can drag that team through a couple of playoff rounds, you know, him and Thatcher Demko on their own. Do you feel Jack Rathbone is ready for a full-time NHL job? I do, yeah. I actually thought that he was probably ready last year. I understood why they didn't. Um, you know, I hadn't played a ton of games in recent seasons, but uh, at this point it's kind of if he can't force his way onto this roster with that blue line, um, then that's that's going to be trouble. But I, I do think he's ready. He, he was so impactful at the AHL level. Yes, he's an offensive player, and, and no, he's not going to steal Quinn Hughes' his putting there on the top power play, but – um, you know, in my opinion, like he's very likely to be a better option to quarterback that second power play unit than a guy like Tyler Myers, or, you know, you, you could have him and OEL on that same unit together. Um, off, they're both on the same side, but, you know, you can move him around and move some pieces around. But I think you got to get him in the lineup. You even shelter him at five on five if you want to start the year and see how he does. Um, but no, I do think he's ready for an NHL shot and, and that he should have one, even if it's the seventh guy and, and he has to prove himself and work his way out. But he should be on the big club, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. Like, this is the year he has to at least make the team and then play a sizable role as the season kind of goes on. And, you know, I do want to ask about Oliver ekman Larson too, before we let you go here as far as fantasy and just as far as, you know, potential production goes. Because last year, I feel like I kind of, uh, I called it a bit too soon. It was with a handful of games remaining in the season. I tweeted out that he had 29 points and he was on on the verge of becoming the only Canucks defenseman since 2015, not named Quinn Hughes or Alex Adler to get 30 points in a season for the team. Wow. Can he get 30 points a season for the team? Yes. Yes, he can get he can get 30 points. I think I put him down for like 33 or 34 last year and I took a ton of heat from Canucks fans being like, "What? No way. This guy's going to put up 40, 45." Um, I, I think the days of him putting up, you know, more than 40 points are probably in the rear view mirror. Um, just again, he's, he's not going to get top power play minutes, but the, the kind of, the fun thing here is that if Quinn Hughes can manage to slide over to the right side and all of a sudden Ekman Larson and Hughes are your top pairing, he's going to see another uptick in his even strength scoring. Um, so that, that alone should get him uh, above 30. So, you know, if he, if he goes out and puts up 35, 36, um, I think that's a great season for him. What I'd really love to see is that he already he did, you know, take a jump back up defensively last year, but it still wasn't great. Um, if he can really bring himself above, even like above league average into that, you know, 50, 60, 65 percentile, um, that would be huge for Vancouver because they need someone that can be relied upon, especially if you want Quinn Hughes to be pushing for 70 points, is that he can't be tasked with shutting down anybody. He needs to be able to freewheel and take those chances and have someone that can to clean up for him and not just have a dash one every time he goes for a rush and it doesn't work. 
uh, director of film scouting and self-proclaimed lord of fantasy hockey, Cam Robinson, uh, joining us. And Elite Prospects is where you can find his work. I know the uh, fantasy hockey guide is out before we let you go. Do you have a do you have a breakout that you've really circled this year for for the upcoming season? Yeah, there's a few, and we talked about one of them was Brock Besser. I think that he's going to step up. But uh, the one guy I keep mentioning that people keep asking me is I, I think Jack Hughes is about to solidify himself mm-hmm. as a true superstar this year too. And, and you know, he had the abbreviated season with the injury last year, but he was playing above a hundred point or just below a hundred point pace. Um, you know, I, I think he's going off for over ninety this year, and and he's going to prove that you know at his size with his skill set that he can he can handle the the tough areas and and really really set the world on fire. So. Uh, probably probably expecting some big years from all the Hughes brothers, even even Luke at Michigan there before he steps into the Devils lineup. Cam, we always appreciate the time and the insights. Thanks for this. Yeah, thanks for having me on, folks. Uh, there he is, Cam Robinson, at Hockey underscore Robinson on Twitter, one of the best. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic, as always. And, you know, we spend a little bit of time on the prospects, but especially with his projections and stuff, it's really interesting to look at that. And, I mean, fantasy stuff, it's fun. Everybody yep. has their drafts and stuff coming up. But, uh, you know, we're trying to project – but they are totals. indicators of like where the Canucks need to get better at this season, and that's scoring goals. Yeah, and who's going to provide points from the back end? Now, I will say that's where Rathbone, if he can emerge on the left side, especially if Hughes does move and stays on the right side and he emerges and plays you know, a sizable role every single night, he's a player who should be getting, giving you at least, as a rookie, plus 20 points. That's yeah. how his game projects, really good at moving the puck and shoot the puck well. So he's going to give you some level of production at even strength. So if he can play... Here's a guy all of a sudden on the left side who you did not have that can give you a little bit of offense. But what, what, how much more can you get from, from all of Rackman Like I mentioned, only two Canuck defensemen since 2015 have had 30 or more points. Yeah, Quinn Hughes and Alex Adler. It's been really hard for this team to get another defenseman to score a lot of points. And the only time we saw two of them score was when Edler and Hughes were on the same team for that one year. Yeah. And the second year, of course, the, the bubble year when everything was going wrong, um, they were still on the same team, but... Obviously, that didn't matter, but we have we haven't really seen two defensemen give you thirty plus points and be one B, you know, a sixty seventy point guy in Quinn Hughes. You don't need a ton of those types of defensemen, but you you probably do need two. Yeah. You know, like you need a couple that can really help out your offense, support your offense. And you, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what type of role Myers plays in as well, mm-hmm. and. Because he can provide more offense, but he's essentially been tasked as a shutdown defenseman since joining this team. Yeah. Play tough minutes, battle a lot, you know, plays the right side, plays a PK a lot. I'm not sure that necessarily plays into his skill set. Now, I'm not, uh, I'm, I don't know if he still has it in him to have a big offensive season. You still see him move the puck well. He can rush and he can shoot the puck hard. But what, what else can you get from him? Can you get, can you get a decent year out of him? Can he be a guy? I mean, if OEL can't do it, does it open up Myers at some point to create more offense? They, they need somebody else to crush 30 points this season. Realistically, if, if it works out, if it pans out that they become more of a transition team and a team that can score more off the rush, that will lead to mm-hmm. more points from the defensemen who are being tasked with getting that quick breakout pass up to the forwards. And Dermot, for depending on what role he plays, but if he plays a third-pair role, for a third-pair role, he, he's going to provide a decent amount of offense. And he gives you something. You he know? talked about how he wanted or went into this offseason, this being his first offseason, where he focused a lot on improving his offensive game mm-hmm. and helping in that 
that area of the ice because every other year of his career at I guess in Toronto he was always went to his exit meetings and was told like hey you got to get better defensively you got to get better defensively whereas Bruce Boudreaux's message to him this year was I think we can explore what you can offer us offensively a little bit more now how does that all shake out this is one of the big topics about Quinn Hughes moving to the right side but what does it mean for the left side of defense. You have OEL, you have mm-hmm. Dermot, you have Rathbone, and you have DeKaiser. How well, on a PTO? So how, how do you end up deploying those guys? What's the best way to deploy Dermot and Rathbone on this roster if you are moving Quinn to the right side? There's there's some question marks there. Yeah, I mean, a Rathbone and Shen seem to make some sense. Yep. Potentially as a third pair. We'll see if DeKaiser even makes a team or but not. Does Dermot and Myers make sense? It's, but but here's the the problem is Dan you're not going to have three pairs that make sense at least not on the surface with <laughs> not this on this team, team yeah. N- not right now it doesn't mean they won't try it in training camp and they find something you know and yep. it works but on the surface stylistically it's hard to find a lot of great fits you uh, know yeah I mean you, you what you could do is just do the boring thing keep Shen on uh, the right side and play Hughes with them so now you got that pair figured out because you know those guys work well together. Uh, you can just assume that Myers and OEL work well together, so you keep those guys together. And then, you know, if Pullman's okay, Rathbone and Pullman's a fine third pair. I mean, that's the default. It mm-hmm. can work. But I think they want to explore something better than that. It's something more upside in those pairings. Uh, Dermot did play a lot of the right side as well yeah. in Toronto. So that's that's an option, too, if they wanted to play him over on the right side over a uh, Pullman or Burroughs. This hour of Canuck Central is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. Dan Murphy is going to join us. He's been in Penticton, and he's up next on Canuck Central.